Warning, because of the extreme content in this podcast, it is not appropriate for children. It contains depictions of violence, language, and disturbing subject matter. It is recommended strictly for adult audiences. Parental guidance is suggested. My name is Joey Siaglia, and I am so excited to welcome you into our family. There are so many stories being told about serial killers, but no one has created direct relationships like you will hear on Murder Phone. My incredible brother, Tony Siaglia, a traumatic brain injury survivor, and the subject of the best-selling book, The Serial Killer Whisperer, will be your host. Along with his co-host and our amazing father, Al Siaglia, they will share over 15 years of handwritten letters, phone calls, and prison visits that will bring you as close to a serial killer as you'd ever want to be. This is a story that is so raw, so scary, with so many twists and turns, it will keep you clamoring for more. Through his own words and letters sent directly to Tony, you will hear the unfiltered, shocking story of David Gore and his cousin Fred Waterfield, who became known as the Killing Cousins. This is Murder Phone. You know, every time I hear that music, I expect to find Hannibal Lecter sitting with us. Hey, as long as David Gore isn't sitting here, I'm fine. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the second episode of Murder Phone, Getting to Know David Gore. I'm your host, Tony Siaglia, the serial killer whisperer. I'm happy to be here with my co-host and dad, Al Siaglia. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here broadcasting from Level 9 Studios in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. Our first season tells the story of David Gore, one of the most evil men that's ever lived. He and his cousin, Fred Waterfield, became known as the Killing Cousins. I began writing to David Gore in 2006. There were no phones on death row in Florida, so we have no recordings of Gore. Instead, we will use the letters I received to tell this story exactly as Gore told it to me. There will be no editing, and I have to warn our listeners, the material is very graphic and very disturbing. Dad, can you give a brief summary of the first season to the listeners? Sure, Tom. Through his letters, Gore will share his most intimate thoughts and feelings, how they hunted, what he took as trophies, detailed descriptions of murders, and stories of his death row relationship with Ted Bundy and how he literally talked himself into the execution chamber. You'll hear interviews with women who survived to tell their horrifying experience with David Gore and Fred Waterfield. And finally, we will cover a story that few know and no one ever talks about. Okay, like the title of this episode says, let's get to know David Gore. My dad is going to read the letters. He will be reading directly from the original letters. So you'll be hearing David's story exactly as he told it over 12 years ago. Thanks. And please understand that some of the words are not legible, but I will do the best I can to make it flow. Tony and I will be commenting when appropriate. Remember, this is a long story with many twists and turns. 
The first letter is dated February 10th, 2007. Dear Anthony, Greetings. I do hope this finds you doing okay. As for myself, I am fine. Yes, I can imagine that living in Las Vegas can be pretty neat. I would think that a lot of tourists travel through there. And of course, I love the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. As for myself, it was I was born and grew up in South Florida. The only place I've been to is North Carolina and West Virginia. And I love the mountains. I always wanted to travel, but I never got the chance. So where's most of your family? Do you have any brothers or sisters? I have one sister, and my mom lives in South Carolina. My dad, who I was close to, died in 1998, so I'm pretty much here. Are you married? I was when I was on the street, but we ended up on pretty bad terms. What kind of work do you do? When I was on the street, I was in citrus management. Basically, I was hired by a grower grower of citrus groves to take care of this grove year-round. Most of the time, it was done by contract. It was a pretty busy profession, but I like working outdoors and growing things. As for music, I like a, I like a variety of music. It pretty much depends what mood I'm in. I like all of Elvis' songs. I like the Beach Boys, some of the classic old rock. <laughs> Hold on a second. Uh, he was a fan of the king of rock and roll, man, Elvis. <laughs> I don't know if Elvis would like that or not like that. He's probably <laughs> rolling over in his grave. Yeah. He liked the Beach Boys, too, Tom. I mean... Yeah, I don't think Brian Wilson would be too crazy about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And being raised on a farm in the county I like most, in the country, I like most country music. I really have never lived in any kind of a big city until I was about 15 of our closest neighbors were like 20 miles away. The deep woods was my playground. You said you weren't writing just to sell my letters. I deeply appreciate that. I've had quite a few people write me just for that reason, which I really never understood because of, because if a person is upfront and straight with me, I don't mind. It's when this appears to be one way, but have ulterior motives in mind. I've always been honest with the people about my life and what I'm here for. I'm the type of person where I accept people for who they are. I don't have a lot of use for people who put on false faces. You said you were in the middle of writing a screenplay. What sort of play is it? I admire anyone who can write things like plays or books. I wished I had the talent to write a book, but I can't. I can sit and write letters. Actually, I do enjoy writing them. So is it true that Las Vegas Strip is a 24-hour adventure? What sort of TV shows do you watch? I love horror and science fiction. I watch 24, Survivor, The Amazing Race, I love good quality comedy. A movie cannot be too gory for me. <laughs> Obviously not. Obviously not, David. Wow. What made you want to move to Las Vegas? I know, let me guess, the burlesque girls. I know that's where I'd be hanging out. I don't think I'd be good at the casinos. I'd be one of those people who'd lose my ass. Well, let me close here 
and I look forward to hearing from you. And please feel free to ask whatever questions you want. Don't worry, I'll always answer you as honest as I can. So until then, please take care, and I'll look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, David. As honest as he can. Well, I'm pretty sure David's word isn't worth much. But he did enjoy talking about the crimes. Oh, yes. And they will see that very shortly. Okay, I'm going to move on to the second letter that we're going to read today. Excuse me. This is dated 3-17-2007. Dear Anthony, hi there, my friend. I sure hope this finds you doing all right. As for this here, Ombre, I'm fine. I also liked the last two letters you sent and your adventures with the ladies. Wow. I have to say, I envy you, my friend. I think I could get quite comfortable in the city of Las Vegas. I just saw in the news where they imploded the stardust to make room for some big resort. (laughs) Kind of interesting, isn't it? Going back to 2007, the stardust was imploded, and it's still a vacant piece of land. That just seems like a lifetime ago. I know. (laughs) I know it. I like to watch CSI, and it's set in Las Vegas, and I like the scenery they show. If I'm not mistaken, it was a gangster by the name of Bugsy Siegel that created Las Vegas. Is that right? Right there, you know it's going to be a wild city. Unfortunately, I grew up in a little hick town like Mayberry, and the cunts in that town were really stuck up and hard to get. They loved to tease. We didn't even have hookers in our town. If you got one, you really had to work for it. I did get a few shots, but they were either drunk or passed out. I fucked a couple who were passed out. Well, that seemed to be his M.O., right? Yeah. Or one of his M.O.s. Yeah, he's such a romance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I met this one chick one night in a bar, and she was pretty plastered, and we hooked up. I figured it was time to take her home and score. Well, when we got in my car and headed out, the cunt passed out. I figured she'd wake up by the time we got home, but she didn't. So I actually carried her into my house, laid her in the bed, took off her clothes, spread her, and fucked her. Then I pulled the sheet over her, and I figured she'd wake up. After a couple hours, I decided I'd put her clothes back on, and I took her back to her car and put her in. You know, before I redressed her, I did manage to take a few pictures of her. I never did see her again at that bar. She had to know she got screwed because she had a cunt full of cream. Isn't he romantic? Yeah, what a nice guy. By the way, I absolutely am obsessed with Oriental whores. I think they are so delicious. The first time I ever had one, I was hooked. They're not much on tits, and they are very thin on pubic hair. But I don't know what it is about them, but I love them. I usually prefer the older women, and when I say older, I'm talking in their 30s and 40s, even 50. I just think experience goes a long way. But when when it comes to Orientals, around 20, they're so nice. 
Have you ever been to other countries like Germany or Switzerland? I hear they are pretty open when it comes to sex and nudity. America seems to be the only place where people have hang-ups, which I never understand. I mean sex is sex. They used to let us subscribe to nude, nude magazines, but they stopped that. But we can still get photos of chicks in bikinis and lingerie, which is not too bad. I used to be big on taking pictures of chicks when they weren't expecting it. Yes, he did. You know why they weren't expecting it? Because they, they were, were dead? Yes. I don't know if you've read anything about why I'm here, but if you ever want to know or want to ask questions, please just ask. Some things aren't pretty, but I don't mind sharing. You would go crazy if you were down here in the hot summer on some of Florida's beaches. There are so many cunts walking around in those thongs, and a lot of the beaches are set off for nude sunbathing. I've been to a few of those, and believe me, it's an awesome sight. I'm surprised you don't have a steady gal, but then from what I can tell, you are having way too much fun being single, so my hat's off to you. Well, guess what? I just got your most recent letter, and I was really great to hear from you. Your letters are terrific. I'm glad you got my last letter, and I'm glad you did enjoy the experience I shared with you about my sister-in-law. Let me tell you, that was truly a great experience. Her and I used to laugh about how our family would certainly disown us if they caught us. What I remember most about her was her legs and ass. Wow, she had the most gorgeous legs and the perfect bubble ass. Let me tell you, I have no scruples when it comes to sex. Hell, I even tried to fuck my mother-in-law, but she was too old-fashioned. Think about that. What exactly does that mean to you? Old-fashioned. What it means is she was too smart to go with this animal. creepy animal. Animal. Yeah, he is. Yes. Huh. I kind of figured there are a lot of cops out there in Vegas, and I imagine a lot of them are undercover. That's the one thing I loved about the small town I lived in. It was really small. I know I knew every deputy personally. And I want everybody that's listening to remember that because this will come into play later on down the road when we're talking about the story that no one ever talks about. I always kept this little police scanner on me. It looked like a walkie-talkie and it had an earplug. So I would clip it on my belt with the earplug in and I could listen to all the police calls and would know where every cop was. So if I happened to be in a house and heard that address on the scanner, I knew someone saw, seen me and I could be long gone before the cops arrived. I would think that Vegas is loaded with strippers. One thing I cannot stand is a woman who thinks her crap don't stink. They think the world owes them something. You getting this feeling about what he thinks of women. That's all he talks about. Yeah. And he doesn't mm -hmm. think too highly of them, does he? No. I don't know if you are aware of this, but I have a co-defendant who was arrested with me. He and I were first cousins, 
and grew up together. Actually, we were more like brothers than cousins. If you saw one of us, you knew the other one was close by. Him and I used to get into situations all the time, and he had the exact same scruples as I had when it came to sex. None. When he found out that his dad was not his real dad, and that his mother had him during an affair, he had no love for females. Interesting. Very similar to Ted Bundy. Very. Believe me, if people knew of some of what he and I had done, well, they think we were real lowlifes. That's because you were. You were. I mean, we're talking hillbilly trash. Yeah, rapes, killings. Scalping. But I have never cared about what people thought. I am who I am, and if people don't like me, they can kiss my ass. I was supervisor for a lot of citrus groves, and in this one grove, I had a mobile home trailer. It sat right in the middle of almost 400 acres of groves and thick wood. He and I used to take women there and spend a lot of time there. He had a key to the grove and the gate, and he would use it as much as he wanted. I just told him to always make sure he cleaned up. Well, as you can see, we were not choir boys growing up. We were hellraisers. And what was really odd was I was sort of quiet and shy, where he was just the opposite. Very charming and outgoing. But we made a great team. We did everything together. I'm sure he was a real charmer. Fred? Fred. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I tell you, I truly envy you and the lifestyle you lead. That is what I would have done. That's, I'm sorry, that is what I wish I'd done. But I got married when I was 18, so I didn't really have much of a single life. But even while I was married, I acted like I was single. Now understand this, Tony. He was 18, he was married, that means he was married in 1971. Okay? 18. At 18, yes. And then he got divorced in 1976. Now, we know that during that short period of time, there was killings and rapes going on. So yes. I guess that's what he calls acting like a single. Think about it. Wow. Hmm. Of course, nowadays you really have to be careful because of AIDS. Hell, when I was out, when I was out there, you could take any chick home and get some, but you can't do that today. How far is that place they call the Bunny Ranch from Vegas? They claim that's a whorehouse, but it is a clean one. I saw the owner of that place on a talk show, and let me tell you, there are some fine-looking chicks in that place. They are what I call high-price whores. (laughs) It's kind of funny because I've been out to that whorehouse, Mm -hmm. and the word clean and whorehouse just don't go together any way you look at it how about high class (laughs) how about good looking (laughs) none of it goes together but for david gore's gore's world Mm -hmm. definitely he's there 
Listen, if you ever would like to come to visit me, just let me know and I'll send you a form to fill out. I don't really have any one visiting right now and it would be great to sit and talk with you. So tell me, just how wild and crazy have you gotten with a chick? You know you can't get too taboo with me. What? You can't get too taboo. Now he had sex with dead bodies, right? He scalped women. Yes, he chopped, chopped them, up. them up. So I guess anything goes, Tom. Yeah, and I remember writing to David and telling him he had me beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a scumbag. I mean, well, let me close and get this out to you. I'll look forward to hearing back from you. I'll write more in my next letter. And until then, you take care, my friend. Your friend, David. You can tell that these uh, letters that my dad just read, he uh, hinted at things, uh, but it, it takes a while for him to get comfortable with me. Let's move on to this next letter, okay? Okay. And he does. I, I've noticed that as we're going through these. He, in these early letters, he's, he's kind of building up to it, and he keeps asking you, ask me questions. Ask it's all about questions. trust. It's all yeah, about trust. Exactly. Yes. And it took a while. It took almost a year. Yeah, and that's how it that was point. with all the other killers I mm -hmm. corresponded with. Right. You know, you got to get to know them. All right, we'll read this last letter that we're going to focus on, and I think they'll see the difference as we're going through it. This letter is dated September 21st, 2007. Dear Tony, hey there, pal. I sure hope this finds you doing all right, and you are in good spirits. As far as me, I am fine. I got another most wonderful letter from you, which I truly enjoyed. Thank you for giving me feedback on the things I share with you. The trick is to learn how to read women. I could always read what their body language said and something about how they carry themselves. I could see in any parking lot, I could sit in any parking lot and watch and observe women, and I could tell you how alert they were. In Creepy. Yeah. Creepy. Oh, yeah. Go on. Sorry. That's I had to all right. That in there. In today's world's world, Women seem to be much more direct about things. You asked me about the beaches. Let me just say the beach was without question a favorite hunting ground, especially during the weekdays. In the county where I lived, you could drive along the coast the entire length of the county. There were literally dozens of secluded beaches with little trails leading up to the bluff. You could pull your car down one of these and no one could see you or care. I'm sorry. It, it's hard. His writing. No one could see you or your car. During the weekdays, these secluded areas were so empty. So there were a lot of housewives who would go to these areas to run, to sun, bathe in seclusion. And many times they would do so in the nude. When me and my cousin or even by myself, went on a hunt. We would drive up and down, constantly checking these areas. We knew exactly what the plan was. 
We knew each other so well that we knew what the other would do. Our method was always the same. If we pulled up to a bluff and a car was parked, we'd walk up over the bluff, covertly check to see who was laying out. If it was a go, we'd disable the car, move down the beach where we could observe. You believe he used the word covertly? I didn't throw that in there. David Gore actually said that, which is... That's a big word for for him. For him? Yeah. Yes. But you, you can see how these two animals, I mean, people are working and they're out hunting housewives on the beach. I mean, it's... You wonder how two of them could get together and do the same thing. You know? And their cousins. Yeah. First cousins. Yeah. When one got ready to leave, we would pull back down. Many times we'd disable the car, so they would ask for assistance when we pulled up. The nice guys. The nice guys. Of course, we were always willing to assist. And when we couldn't get their car started, they always would ask for a ride because they didn't want to be stranded. And let me say, once they were in our truck, between us, it was easy. Sick. I have, yeah. t- I have told people that have written me the dangers of just getting into a car with a stranger. There's I, the nice guy again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he's yeah. helping out. Wait till you hear this. Okay. I've actually had women write me and ask me what they would do to protect themselves from someone that had the same intentions I did. And I would tell them, hitchhiking is one of the worst dangers there is for any woman. Because once they climb into that car, they are at the mercy of the person, especially if they have planned out the details. I think the best thing any woman can do if she finds herself in a situation is fight and scream and do whatever she can. Every one of my victims never put up any resistance, and that really was the worst thing they could do. It was odd because they tended to go into a sort of shock. Well, you know, David, when you pull a gun out or you have a straight razor, it tends to maybe put a woman into shock. What do you think, Tom? Exactly. When it starts out, you're Mr. Nice Guy. You're going to help her out with her car. Next thing you know, she's in the car and you pull a knife or a gun on her. I'd say shock is something that's going to happen. I would like to think women today are much more alert and aware of their surroundings. The best thing one one can do is be aware of her surroundings, especially if they're walking to their car in some parking lot. I just never could believe how women would go be so naive about things. And back then, you didn't have all the warnings and such that you have now. I think Ted Bundy brought attention to this. His buddy Bundy. And we'll be talking about that in later episodes. Yes. His friendship with... And just for everybody... Another animal. The term serial killer wasn't used until Ted Bundy... You are so correct when you say people are drawn to the blood and gore and violence. Whether they admit it or not, people enjoy seeing it. All you have to do is look at the ticket sales of a movie like Hannibal. 
or Silence of the Lambs when it hits the theater. It breaks records and ticket sales. Why? Because people enjoy seeing death and blood. But that's fake death and blood. Yes, this guy got off on the real thing. But he, see, he, mm-hmm. he kind of justifies it because the rest of the public are watching Hannibal Lecter, right, in Silence of the Lambs. It's okay then. Everybody thinks it's okay. Well, they don't, David. Every serial killer I ever worked with, which was a little bit over 40, they always had ways to justify their crimes. Yeah, no question. Okay, moving on. The thing is, society has put such a stigma on people who like blood and gore, so people are ashamed to admit it because they don't want to be seen as weird, whatever that means. I agree. You mentioned the word serial killer, and automatically people want to get as far away from you as possible. Tony, I don't think that's what you said. I think when you were telling him that what, who you write to and what you do, people are always a little shocked, but then they get inquisitive. Very curious. And then they start asking questions. Mm-hmm. Now, if they see a real serial killer, yeah, you bet your ass they'd run away <laughs> like this clown. <laughs> you asked how many victims were Asians. Actually, there were three. There were some... You know what? He says there's three. We only know of two, which you're going to talk about in a minute. Yes. So, this again, he's talking about an extra Asian that he killed that nobody knows about, which will come up in later letters. Yes. They were something. You asked if we took victims down in a house or the vehicle. Actually, it would be wherever we felt comfortable the most doing it. Sometimes it was too risky to do it in the car, so we'd take them to the house. By the way, I'm going to enclose a photo of myself in with this letter. <laughs> He's so wonderful. And I know we'd have a blast if we could hang out in Vegas together. Like that's going to happen. I don't think so. <laughs> All right, Tony. Read from your book the short passage on the Ling murder, and then we'll talk about what David says in this letter. Yes, this um, ex- excerpt is from my book, The Serial Killer Whisperer, on page 120. For several days, Gore stalked Ying Ling a 17-year-old high school student. He approached her in February 1981 after she was dropped off near her house by a school bus. Flashing his badge, he ordered her into his truck and then drove her to her house where he planned to rape her. But her mother, Hsing Ling, age 48, was there. She had just arrived a few weeks earlier from Taiwan. Her husband and two children having immigrated to the United States before her. Gore pulled a gun on both women 
and drove them into an orange grove, orange grove, outside Vero Beach, where he tied them to trees facing one another. He telephoned Waterfield and then raped both the mother and the daughter while waiting for his cousin to join him. Waterfield rejected his sing as being too old. So the two men rearranged the ropes that were binding her to the tree so that she would slowly strangle. Meanwhile, they repeatedly raped her daughter in front of her. When they finished, they killed the teenager too. Both bodies were chopped up, put in 55-gallon drums, and buried in an orange grove. Now, those are the two Asians that we know of. We know of. He said he killed three. He so killed three. Out there. So now I'm going to read this part of the letter, what David talks about. And you see the brutality of what these two did. And here's how he sounds about it. You know, there were several times when I was doing my thing, the things could have just gone very wrong. For example, the two Asians I got, it wasn't 10 minutes after I left their house with them that the son came home. I never knew there was a son. Had he come home just 10 minutes earlier, it would have been a bad situation. And that was just luck. The thing, I'd stalked them for days and I never saw him, which was strange. After that incident, I went out of my way to make sure there would be no surprises. I was always a stickler for details and I always played it safe rather than sorry. When I was in the process of doing something, if I even had an inkling I might be seen, seen, then I would abort. Every time you watch criminal cases on TV and the person gets caught, 99% of the time they are caught and convicted because someone seen them or seen their car, and that's all it took. Why do you think when cops arrive on a crime scene, the first thing they do is look for possible witnesses? If I was hunting a neighborhood, I always made sure I didn't drive down a street more than once. You drive up and down a street, people take notice. Plus, being into law enforcement helped to know what to do and what not to do. Stop, stop, stop. I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. No, I'm going to let you say it. Law enforcement. Define that for me, okay? Yeah. He was appointed an auxiliary sheriff's deputy, a nothing Zero. Yes. Which is what he was. It was all part of the whole hillbilly circle they had going on in Vero Beach. That's right. Yes. Now, my cousin, he didn't care about all that. We'd be driving down the highway, and if he saw one he liked, he'd say, let's get her. It didn't make, it didn't matter who might see us. Many times I had to talk him out of things. Because I knew if we went through with it, we'd be seen. But I liked his determination, and that worked well. I was more cautious, and I covered all of the what-ifs. And he was, let's jump and attack. Together, we balanced out real well. 
did you, David? <laughs> hey, I saw on the news where old O.J. Simpson got busted there in Las Vegas. He may be in a heap of trouble this time. He sure seems a bit cocky to me, like he is above the law. Well, it will be interesting to see if he can squirm his way out of it this time. Well, that was back in 2007. He didn't squirm his way out. He got nine years. But now, he's mm-hmm. back in Vegas. And he happened to be eating dinner right next to me. Like, what was that? About, About two months ago? Two months, two, three months. Yeah, yeah. in and out Burger. He was at the booth right next to me. I didn't even look at him. He disgusts me. He should have met Gore. Yeah. I'll tell you this. With the technology that is out there today, and with video cameras on every corner, you cannot do anything without being seen. I would in no way do half the stuff now that I did back years ago. I used to stalk supermarket stores and the parking lots. Now if you do that, you're being watched on video. I would even be leery to hunt neighborhoods because a lot of homes have security cameras. I liked isolated rural areas. It used to be another of my favorite areas. Well, my good friend, I'm going to close here and mail this. You take extra good care, and I'll look forward to hearing from you soon. I'll write again, your friend, David. Well, it's... he He's right about security nowadays. Cameras everywhere. And that he wouldn't have been able to do half of this... No, a quarter of the stuff that he did back then. But there are still people in parking lots hunting all right all right all right so we're working our asses off i know you've been looking for ways to help support the murder phone podcast well we're excited to announce that we officially launched a buy me a coffee page go to our webpage murderphone.com and click on buy me a coffee. Then click the support tab and you can buy dad and I as much coffee as you want. Hurry though, because Aruba ain't cheap in the winter. If you're a super fan and want to get even more up close and personal, sign up for a membership and you'll get access to all kinds of cool exclusive content that only official Murder Phoniacs can access. Thanks in advance for your support. This is Joey Ciaglia, and thank you for listening to Murder Phone. Hosted by my brother, Tony Ciaglia, the subject of the best-selling book, The Serial Killer Whisperer, and his co-host, Al Ciaglia. For more information on the show, please visit MurderPhone.com, where you can ask questions, link to our social media accounts, and much, much more. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, and an iTunes review would be much appreciated. Murder Phone was written and produced by Tony Ciaglia and Al Ciaglia and recorded at the Level 9 Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks to Scott for his editing magic. Please join us next week for another exciting episode of Murder Phone. Before we go, I want to give out a huge shout out to all those living this life after brain injury. 
which is our new normal, as so many call it. You are awesome. Keep going. I know I will. And to my listeners out there that know someone living with a brain injury or any other mental health issue, hear me. Please be kind. Please be patient. And most of all, be understanding. Remember, they are all doing the best they can.